0: I don't think there is a magic formula for a career. A piece of advice was don't plan your career, uh, just think on a rolling 12-month basis. If I continue on this path, where am I going to get to? If not, what am I going to do in the next 12 months to change that?
1: Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. Hi everyone! We are happy to have our next guest today, Ines Suarez. She's currently the Chief Marketing Officer at Deliveroo. And before that, she was the Chief Customer Officer and CMO at TreatWell. Europe's number one marketplace for hair and beauty appointments. Beyond her many accomplishments, Ines is a friend of mine and we hung out at Slush, so got to know her. And so I'm super, super excited to have her on the show today. So Ines, welcome to the show.
0: Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Very exciting.
1: Um, You know, we've been trying to do this for a few months. And I think when we first talked about doing this, the world was incredibly different and then a lot changed. Tell us a little bit uh, how, how you're doing, doing all of this, how is Deliveroo doing? I've been following you on LinkedIn and saw some really amazing initiatives you guys took to, to adapt.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're so right that when we met uh, at Slash, uh, the world was very, very different. To start with, we were in a conference with thousands of people all together, like hugging and shaking hands, which it's basically like unimaginable now, but yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure we're going to find a new normality at some point. Yeah, so overall, uh, doing well, I had to get my head around working from home overall because I'm a huge fan of teams uh, working together at the office and sharing knowledge and I had to push myself to think out of the box on how to basically operate teams remotely in a way where we could produce exactly the same value or even more value actually because the circumstances have changed completely and the business is moving and, and changing so fast that we need to get the teams that we have to produce content and strategies and act on their plans as fast as possible. But overall, now, after a few months, we were discussing uh, before we started, we've been working from home from for what? like Three months, four months now? Now we have adjusted to a new reality. And I have to say, I'm personally enjoying it, uh, spending more time with my, my loved ones and I have a bit more time to think because we're, I'm not commuting. So overall, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Regarding the liver, the business is healthy. We're doing well. Uh, obviously, it wasn't easy at the beginning like any other business. And, and we're facing the same challenges as other industries. Uh, but what we've done is we've basically gone back to our roots. And our roots are quite simple. Our job is to deliver great food. Uh, to you, at your place. We deliver that food happiness that you're looking for to share with your loved ones and and to create those special moments. And now that those special moments, uh, you won't be able to find them in other areas like going to a concert or going to a restaurant or, yeah, or basically, especially during the first weeks, It wasn't even allowed to leave the house, so we were there to uh, support you, even with the limited restaurant selection that we had, because many restaurant partners were closed. So overall, we just focused on delivering food, which is what we know how to do best, and also we focused very, very much on supporting our restaurant partners, uh, because now they are all reopening, and we play a huge role in helping them continue to operate, because they can't host people in their venues, in, in, in their, in their, basically in their houses. So they, they have a huge space full of tables with a huge kitchen and we need to help them continue to operate. So we are working together with, with large and smaller partners to figure out what the future of the restaurant industry is going to look like. Then we've also taken our responsibility a bit further than just delivering food to consumers, but we've also done some work Uh, for example, supporting frontline workers. So, for example, in the U.S., we committed to delivering 500,000 meals and making them available to frontline NHS workers. NHS is the national health system in the U.K. And we partner with different restaurant brands. Uh, We uh, managed to get free advertising on TV, free advertising out of home uh, to support this initiative. And we actually uh, just recently announced that we achieved... The number that we that we wanted to achieve, the 500,000 meals, so half a million meals, which is huge because all these doctors and nurses and overall frontline workers, they were working day and night to keep our people healthy and, and looking after our loved ones. And, and we also felt that we could easily have a, a role in that. So overall, yeah, we're all doing very well. And now planning H2, which we don't even know how to plan H2 because we don't know how it's going to work. But but yeah enjoying enjoy my job very very much to be honest at the moment
1: that's awesome I think that's uh that's really, really great and I know not all companies can do and make a change the way you guys are and uh you know, it's been, it's been really awesome watching you and all the different initiatives that you guys have launched to help the workers, to help restaurants. Uh, it's, it's really cool how well you've adapted, but how much you're also giving back to the community. Have you guys made any big you know, product changes to adapt to this situation uh, or even marketing changes?
0: The product side, uh, to be honest, the product was fit for purpose overall, so not huge product changes. We have made small changes like, uh, for example, allowing you to donate for a cause, which is not something that was allowed, allowing you to tip, but um, not, to be honest, not huge changes because at the end of the day, our mission and our job doesn't change, which is we pick up something in a restaurant and we take it to your house and allow you, hopefully, to enjoy your food in the right conditions. On the marketing side, of course, um, basically that's what you were mentioning earlier, we changed our marketing strategy and our comp strategy completely. So, we were actually quite heavy on paid marketing, and we actually decided to stop doing most of our paid marketing to focus on the things, as I said, the things that matter most, which are being closer to our restaurant partners, uh, working on, on, working, basically supporting the community, giving back to the community, working with our riders, working with, uh, uh, to uh, deliver to frontline workers. And we have done different initiatives across different markets. And then most of our marketing was focused on communicating those initiatives So that was the first phase. And then the second phase now is much more simple, which is all our restaurant partners are back online and we need to tell people that that's the case. We need to tell you that KFC is back online. We need to tell you that Five Guys is back online because as long as you find out, so as soon as you find out, sorry, you are going to want to order from them, and they are ready to deliver to you. So that's the second phase now and now we are figuring out what we're going to do next uh, in H2.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I think that's super interesting. And it's in line with, you know, the intro, the biggest trend that I've seen in marketing is uh, really a shift from acquisition to retention. And I think it's actually B2C and B2B. So it's been just like very interesting how... Because we can connect to people as well, we actually focus more on connecting to people and building relationships. And it, I think it's happened in, in you know the workplace, but also I, I find it even in my personal life. I uh, I obviously haven't met or made new friends, but I focus so much on like making the relationships I have stronger. Um, so it's, it's kind of just interesting how a pandemic has, in some ways, had positive effects on us, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, okay, let's go back to, uh, to you. And I think what I find super interesting about this podcast is that I ask people about, you know, the things that they're doing in their job, but also how they got there. So you have a uh, pretty interesting, you know, we were talking a slush about your background and how you got to where you are. Tell us a little bit about how you started and how you got into marketing.
0: Yeah, so I don't have a marketing background by default. I studied uh, mathematics in university and engineering and then I actually was very very lost at the beginning of my career. I tried different things, tried consulting, tried FNCG, tried a couple of startups uh, but just several different topics and I, I just couldn't find my place and then uh I was actually very lucky I started my let's say online career or call it tech company career in Barcelona in at a time when the ecosystem was just starting to grow and I was lucky enough to get a job uh, as a project manager which uh, whatever that means project management but uh, and I was managing projects and i I was part of the tech team and i i mean hopefully created some value i hope and uh, but I got supposed to what, how Scrum, what Scrum is and what Scrum methodology is. I got exposed to product management. I got exposed to to cross-functional teams for the first time in my career. So I did that for a year. was traveling, went to different countries because it was mainly about expansion, my job. And, and then at some point there was an opening in, in the marketing team, which was uh, called something like Customer Retention Specialist. And I thought, I think I can do that because I... I know. I. I mean, I don't ask me to do it anymore. But I could do a bit of uh, programming and, and R and a bit of Python, etc. So I thought I can definitely do custom segmentation and build some models. So I took on that job, and then that was the beginning of my marketing career. Because then, after that job, I the company was growing very fast. So I was promoted a couple of times, and my last two years in that business, I was the product owner for marketing, which was a role in between product management and, and marketing management and i had the great opportunity to work with a cross functional team lead a cross, uh, and oversee a cross functional team myself with developers with product management and marketing experts and and that was that's how i i actually the first years of my career were closer to product than marketing but i was a product owner for the marketing and demand generation side of the business and then yeah and then my next job after that i became a cmo of, of another business at travel uh, sorry, a daily deals company in Spain. The previous company was a travel business. But that's how I started. So when I think about marketing careers, I the best professionals I have met in marketing, uh, there's many people that they have a marketing background and they are amazing marketing professionals with a great theoretical background. But I've also seen people succeed in this job having mathematical uh, or very scientific backgrounds because... You just think about marketing as solving problems, no? and, and connecting the dots. And, and that's how I literally tackle every single situation, which is, okay, this is the problem, what is the exam question, then uh, let's try to answer this. No? And yeah, that's the beginning of my career.
1: That's great. And I agree with you. I mean, I never thought I would end up in marketing. I studied computer engineering. So I think it's, uh, it's interesting how... Uh, and 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 as I do this podcast, I think there's very few people who actually studied marketing. Most of the people who end up in marketing come from uh, different parts um, and, and different backgrounds. And I think that's actually the cool thing about marketing that the people you meet are actually pretty diverse. And even if I think about my team, it's pretty diverse. So that's awesome, and that's really great to hear. You know, we were we were doing some research on you, and uh, you are really passionate about running, cycling. And it's interesting because I've seen a trend between some of the people that I've interviewed who are passionate about grow, who are also athletes and do a lot uh, in their in their free time. Kind of tell us a little bit about that and how you think it affects you being a good leader, uh, a good marketer.
0: Uh, yeah, right. I don't think the term athlete applies to me though. But, <laughs> okay. but that's very that that sounds great though. Uh, yeah, look, I am I am indeed into sports. Have always been. I used to play hockey in. High school, and then I've always done sports all my life. I really, I just enjoyed. I and lately I found that uh, probably as you progress in your career uh, and you get more responsibility, you also become maybe more ambitious. on sports, and you apply retrospectively some of the things that you learn in business. You wanna practice that in sports, and, and vice versa. I guess. No, like resilience, for example, super important in sports. Planning, super important in sports because you need to plan your training. Like. Running a half marathon or running a, a triathlon—it just doesn't happen. You need to train for it, no? and you need to plan your trainings and your and your nutrition, etc. So the way I think about leadership is quite similar to that. No, like the things that drive me are uh, overall working with people that I admire and working with people that uh, ha, are smart but are humble, like ego-free people. People don't have an ego, uh, or have a, basically a, a not ego, but just yeah, like uh, they have the right level of consci- self consciousness to operate well, and uh, and they're just people that want to build great businesses. And this is the same in sports. People that are good in sports, they have no ego. They just want to, especially in team sports, uh, you just want to be part of the team and you want to contribute to the overall purpose. And and I always think that the way I like to run teams is not uh, like the army. It's more like a like a like yeah like football or or it's like rugby or whatever you play in the US but because i think everybody has a specific role but everybody knows how my job contributes to the rest of to the rest of the organisation so i really enjoy that part And I actually feel very privileged that I had the opportunity to work with amazing professionals. And someone had the brilliant idea to give me a team when I was, I think, 25. And I had no idea how to lead a team. So I actually had to learn from those guys, from the the people that I was managing. And they, they taught me how to become a better manager. And that also happens when you're in sports. You learn from your peers on how to train better, how to basically contribute better to the team and to do the overall success.
1: I love that. Thank you for sharing. You know, I've interviewed people that were in, you know, heads of products, people who are in analytics and people who are in marketing. And those have been kind of the three areas and the three types of people that have come on the podcast. And it's interesting because everyone thinks a little bit differently about the definition of growth. How do you think about, you know, the idea of growth and and driving growth for Deliveroo?
0: Yeah, I think that you're right. And I also think that the word growth has been overutilized overall. Uh, you even have titles today called chief growth officer, yeah, which I find very funny because what does that mean? That he's the only person in the company that really cares about growth, no one else is doing growth. Yeah. Like the chief commercial officer, officer is not doing growth, for example, no, like probably the most important person in the business in that sense. So I think that, oh, I mean, and huge respect for the people that, that do growth because I do think it's a very uh, difficult discipline, no? Especially in the in the sense that these people are defined as chief growth officer with uh, experimentation background and and, and not having specific growth techniques. But the way I think about growth, you're asking me about my definition, is
1: yeah, exactly a
0: series of uh, strategies and tactics that we execute to achieve specific business growth objectives. And. Um, Growth, as you said, if you ask other people, they could tell you that uh, they approach growth through a very robust experimentation background, and, they, and then they will tell you about operating in cross-functional teams. So, so, sure, that's one, one answer to a growth problem, but there can be many answers to a growth problem. No? So, for me, just, as I said, strategies and tactics that help me achieve certain business growth objectives. Growth doesn't necessarily have to be orders or revenue growth, which has been quite fashionable for a few years, it's the, and is the most common use of the terminology, Is top-line growth, because historically uh, it has been used for fast-growing startups with uh, limited funding, uh, they just needed to grow top-line top at all costs. But I think that actually during these uh, more uncertain times that we're going through today, people are becoming much more wary of the world growth. Yeah. And I've seen uh, especially investors and board members to start talking a lot more about sustainable growth or uh, what's your path to profitability yeah. or uh, things that were not as fashionable for a while uh, like lifetime value and break-even, uh, break-even conversations are starting to come up. So I think that, Markets, are going to be, markets and investors are going to be much more severe and skeptical regarding the world growth at all costs. And fast-growing companies uh, that have no clear paths to becoming profitable or becoming sustainable businesses are going to suffer. Therefore, that's why I'm also pivoting the way I think about it from how do we grow, how do we grow, to how do we support the business goals, uh, and what is the what is series of strategic pillars that we need to organize ourselves around to achieve that? Obviously, if you ask, I'm sure you've had amazing people in this podcast and I've listened to a few, but like, uh, you can have the more theoretical growth approach, which is, as, as we were saying earlier, uh, people that operate with a very strong experimentation background, they outline uh, a series of tests and they think about growth in incrementality. They, you also have the opposite, which is people that think about it in Like high contrast testing and they just want to find that basically what is the lighthouse uh, thing that I need to build that is going to multiply my growth by 100 or by 10. There are so many approaches but that's how I'm currently thinking about it. Uh, If you think about it at Deliveroo, applying this to Deliveroo we believe that we achieve fast growth uh, by connecting the three sides of the marketplace, which is not easy, because uh, operating a three-sided marketplace is more difficult than two-sided marketplaces or retail businesses. Yeah. And we have a quite standard approach, to be honest. In terms of the technical team, we just define tests, we launch tests, we learn something, we try again. And we have a mix of uh, incremental tests, high contrast tests. And we also, to be honest, sometimes we just use our... I would say educated customer centricity or intuition to just launch the products that we think are right, and sometimes you just need to move fast no? and so far so good it's been working very well in in most uh, markets where we operate and and we keep learning as a business
1: and how do you make sure that i think especially when you think about specific you know like user growth and customer growth, how do you make sure that you keep the marketplace balanced? that you're not getting like too many customers and not enough restaurants and not enough drivers, for example. I can imagine that that's not easy.
0: Yeah, no, it is not. But it's particularly relevant, especially when you launch new markets or new cities. And we just uh, operate with a playbook where we, uh, if you think about a marketing funnel, we start with the bottom of the funnel. So at the beginning, you add a few restaurants, then there's always organic demand that you have, then you start capturing some organic demand through paid search, for example, then you drive a bit more more orders for those restaurants, you have a few more restaurants, then it's not enough to capture demand, you need to start generating demand and educating people about the fact that you exist, therefore, you uh, can start doing, for example, some display or, or YouTube advertising, and then it arrives to a point where you can go mass comms because you have a good enough coverage, and, and the restaurants are ready to supply that demand. But... I, I don't I don't want to say that it's easy because in some cities we just never get that flywheel going. Basically, it's very difficult to create the snowball effect. But overall, uh, that together with uh, word of mouth as a key strategy, so delivering that amazing customer experience from the beginning, so that people talk about you, is usually how we how we do it, especially for new markets.
1: So for word of mouth, I think that's so interesting. What you you guys. When you think about organic and word of mouth, do you think the main driver for that is actually the product experience and building like the light and, and, and amazing product experience?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's important. There's a lot of talk about paid marketing versus organic marketing. And especially in these times, as we were discussing earlier. Uh, people, wanna move, people and companies want to move farther away from just relying on, on paid strategies. Yeah. Uh, the most important driver for growth, uh, and we've seen this so many times in the US especially, is product market feed. Is that you need to have the product that your consumers want. If you don't have that, you're dead. So marketing is a great tool to drive expensive incremental growth, uh, but in this new economy it's going to be challenging for many companies to keep investing at the same levels uh, as they were before the crisis. So, as we were saying, I'm a huge fan of advocacy as a growth strategy. So, focus on this PMF, focus on your consumer journey to deliver a great customer experience. Go one step beyond, understand the different customer segments and treat them differently as you, as you could expect to be treated as a consumer, no? like if you, you want to have a conversation with that specific brand. One thing that I always think about is if you check your customer base, you will see that a very small percentage of your customers drive a very large of your revenue, large part of your revenue. So what are you doing about that? How, how do you know that those customers are, are the ones growing your customer base? And how, what are you doing to get them to help you acquire other customers, basically to drive advocacy? And then once you have all of that, you can spend as much money as you want in marketing because then you have the halo effect happening for you. conversion rate is going to be amazing you will have word of mouth happening so every pound or every dollar that you invest multiplies it's not it it doesn't become a sunk cost which is what happens with just paid strategies
1: right you don't have a leaky bucket which i think some companies i think that's where this like thing about the scared you can grow your your user base but if they don't if you don't retain them and you don't keep them it doesn't actually matter right that's exactly right so I think the the interesting thing is that you were talking about growth. you talked about delivery, which is a pretty big company, but you've also I know you also help uh, some smaller startups and you advise smaller startups. How do you think like what kind of KPIs do you do you have as do you think about growth of delivery and how that how is that like different what kind of advice do you give to smaller companies that are just you know getting started and starting to build that growth engine at a very early stage?
0: I think that it, it's not that different. I mean, for consumer-facing businesses, for uh, my experience is mainly with marketplaces. The KPIs you could use when you start launching a marketplace uh, are exactly the same KPIs you could look at when you uh, are managing uh, business hour size. You look at customer acquisition costs, you look at cost per reactivated customer, you look at when you break even in terms of lifetime value, you look at traffic, you look at conversion rate, Uh, But there isn't any magic like KPI that is going to help you operate your business better. You know, like uh, obviously one thing we look a lot at is quick ratio, so the balance between the amount of customers that we acquire versus the amount of customers that we lose because we always want to continue to grow our existing customer base and that's super important for startups at the beginning, which is your quick ratio always needs to continue to be quite high. But especially with uh, marketplaces and e-commerce, consumer-facing businesses, the KPIs are as simple as this. We are not a subscription business, though, but we are a business with um, high frequency. Therefore, our way of thinking is quite similar to a subscription business, where you really uh, look a lot into churn and, and customer value creation overall. So, pricing and, and how do we find the right balance between the value we give to the consumer and the value that we, that we create for the liberal at a customer level. But the KPIs are not that different. What I've seen, though to your particular question, mother, uh, happening a lot is there's lots of direct-to-consumer brands now that are launching. And the way that I think about KPIs is a bit different because most of these brands, they, they start in Instagram and they really, really care about the concept of community, having a community of people that they follow their brands even before they start transacting. So uh, I've been working with some startups that they look a lot at followership and engagement with their content and shares and likes. And, and that's quite new where if you would have started a business five years ago or 10 years ago, you would never have that as a KPI. And today it's uh, one of the most relevant ones for these brands.
1: That's super interesting. And, and I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. I've recently bought probably five things that I found on Instagram for both cooking and wearing. I think it's becoming such a bigger way. Uh, and and I think COVID is actually accelerating that because I can't go to stores, I can't try something, so I end up buying. I was going to
0: tell you, I think you've been home for too long.
1: <laughs> oh, I have been home for a while, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've been. I mean, there's no open stores, so I definitely spend more time on Instagram than I ever have in my life, <laughs> uh, which is which is I think interesting. <laughs> One of the things I always ask I think people get a kick out of is just this idea of like, do you have any interesting stories of times where you drove growth either for Deliveroo or for one of the past companies? Anything that you've kind of tried that you didn't know if it was going to go that well, but it actually worked really well and it was like a really successful campaign or maybe something like a new feature or a new campaign that really got you a lot of users and you weren't really expecting it?
0: Yeah, I have never found... Any magic sauce for growth? Funny enough, I always think that growth comes with very
1: hard work. I think that's fair. Yeah, I definitely
0: have lots of examples of things that I've done that have no work. Uh, but no, you do find things. You do find things that work, but they have to be genuine. You know, like things that have worked for me uh, always better than expected are actually things that are more connected to the heart and the purpose of the business. So I can give you examples of, for example, at TreeWell. Uh, we started launching a content strategy because my thinking was in the beauty industry. So three well for the uh, Madam mentioned this, but uh, it's a hair and beauty marketplace. So you need a, ma- a manicure, a pedicure. You download the app, you just book it, and then you just go to the salon. And what we, what I realized is that we were treating beauty in a very transactional way, and we needed to go beyond that. So. We decided to launch this content initiative where we would just create content around the beauty industry and before and after and and basically educational content about different types of hair, different types of skin types, etc. And I we only started this as kind of like an experimental project and very very quickly the content Uh, side project became the heart of our marketing strategy. So every single campaign that we could do would be a content led campaign with lots of scrappy, uh, more like Instagram type and social type uh, of content that we would use for almost everything. And literally we saw growth accelerating massively because we figured out how to communicate with consumers the way they wanted to be talked to. So they didn't want a beauty brand to talk to them, they just wanted normal people to show them Uh, Yeah, basically their beauty experiences. So that one probably was a huge pivot for us, but it was just us testing something. And another thing that I can give as an example uh, is the most recent example that I was mentioning earlier, which is uh, our initiative with the NHS in the UK, where we just did it because we we, we thought it was the right thing to do. And it's been, I mean, we've had a lot of support from the media and from our customers and... And we are really we saw obviously amazing growth coming from this, but it was because it was close to our heart as a business, so probably the, the piece of advice is stay close to, to the things that matter to you as a business, have a clear vision, a clear mission and and don't just grow for the sake of growing because that's not sustainable. Find the things that actually are going to help you yeah stay closer to consumers and consumers they just don't buy brands anymore because they are telling them a story on advertising. they they can they can do research and they do research and and then they will inform themselves so you need to stay you need to stay true and have a a story
1: to tell I love that that's really great advice and it's just i think you're right when you the more authentic you are and the more you do things the better it is and i think trying to, trying to game it which i think sometimes we all do Sometimes doesn't work, right? So uh, I think that's that's awesome advice. So thinking about you and your, you know, your career so far, I think the one thing uh, I'm curious is, what do you think helped you? Kind of, you know, you got some really awesome chances, uh, but how did you learn? How did you learn how to become a CMO? And did you have any mentors in your life that helped you get to where you are? Um, I I think probably many of our listeners are wondering how they can, if they're put in a position like yours or if they have, uh, if they're given a chance, how can they like make sure that they don't, they actually take advantage of it and keep growing.
0: Same as uh, for growth. I don't think there is a magic formula for career. And I, I, uh, I'm not doing it this year, but I used to mentor some younger people in marketing careers and everybody you could ask me the question, so how can I plan my career? And what are the things that I need to do to achieve a certain thing? And maybe I'm naive, but I think that careers and professions uh, change so rapidly. And, and companies and types of, the types of businesses where we can work change so rapidly that trying to plan a 20-year career is just not right, no? So I was, I was actually given two pieces of advice by different mentors. I've had mentors that were in the investment scene. Uh, actually, I've had a couple of bosses that were excellent coaches more than mentors, but two pieces of advice. One advice, a piece of advice was don't plan your career, uh, just think on a rolling 12-month basis. So basically, today, every time, once a quarter, once a month, doesn't matter, think about the next 12 months and think, where is this going to take me? So if I continue in this path, Where am I going to get to? Okay, do I like that yet? Okay. If not, what am I going to do in the next 12 months to change that? So it doesn't mean you need to quit today. It doesn't mean you need to quit tomorrow. Uh, But you can do so many things to change your career. You you can have a conversation with your peers. You can have a conversation with your boss. You can go and try to change to a different department. You can obviously look for another job. You can start your own business. But uh, plan it, but don't plan it in in 10 years. Like, literally, take your... It's almost like a growth strategy, you know? You test and learn. And I applied that, and that has worked very well for me. So if I start feeling that something's not right and it's not going to feel right in the next 12 months, I start acting on it. And that acting on it could be start meeting with headhunters. It could be start talking. Imagine you want to start your own business. Start talking to some uh, entrepreneurs that have done similar things to yours, the one you want to do. I know it's, maybe it's very pragmatic and maybe it's naive, but... I've been operating like this for a long time, and of course I do have ambitions and things that I want to do, but I also realize that you change your mind with time, and things that were very important to me four years ago are not important anymore, and things that I thought were not going to be important just became very important, so I will change probably my career path or my personal plans, so that's the first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is usually the things that happen in your career happen Because at some point in the past, you've done something right. Uh, So, the second piece of advice that someone told me was two things. Just be nice to people, treat people well, and just work very hard. You know, because at the end of the day, uh, so the, the best opportunities I've had are because two years ago, someone asked me to go to a panel with them, and I went... I didn't want to go, but I went and I really enjoyed it in the end. And then they called me two years later saying, hey, did you know that this company is looking for a CMO? And I'm like, okay, introduce me to them. No, And then because you one day help someone, but you need to help them because you want, not because you're expecting something is changed. That's always going to pay back. And secondly is... Ego-free, uh, like work hard, uh, help others, um, but, th- but do good work, basically, you know, like that high-quality work. And those, are, they are very simple tips, but I try to apply that like, philosophy to me, try to have strong ethics, uh, and, and that has worked for me. And look, I don't know if I'm going to continue all my life working in marketing. I, I am currently enjoying my profession and, and work for a great business, and so far it's working, but that's, that's how I think about it.
1: If not marketing, then what else would you do?
0: Yeah, probably, uh, look, you don't know, but either starting something for myself or uh, moving more towards uh, something a bit more generalistic, like general management. Or, but I don't know, because I'm really enjoying what I do too. So, uh, but I've been doing marketing for a long time, and I always miss being a bit closer to the core of the business, because at the end of the day, we can influence a lot from marketing, but, but yeah. we're not operating the, the business from day to day.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. I totally get that. Cool, this was like so awesome. I feel like I learned a lot, in, uh, uh, but we, we, we usually end with three kind of more like fun questions. Okay. They're a little bit silly, but I, th- I hope you enjoy them. So question number one, if you had to delete all the apps you had and you only could keep one on your phone, what would that be?
0: Okay, it used to be Google Maps, But not anymore because I don't leave my house. Uh, So now it's definitely WhatsApp WhatsApp because I need to stay close to my loved ones and I'm like on WhatsApp all day.
1: That makes sense. And then if you could have an app that allowed you to talk to an animal, either a specific animal or a type of animal, what would you pick?
0: So I'm not an animal lover, but I would love to have an app that allowed me to talk to my plants because I really like my plants. (sighs) Does that count? That's
1: awesome. That totally counts. What kind of plants do you have?
0: Oh, all types, like palm trees, like, uh, like tropical, uh, 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 cactuses, anything. I really am fascinated by uh, plants, like, like it. yeah, lava plants, everything.
1: That's awesome. I just, I started a garden this because of COVID, but it's all edible plants. It's only things oh, like you well, need. Oh, that's more <laughs>
0: difficult. That's more difficult
1: indeed, yeah. Um, they're all in the backyard, so like every morning I have to water them just because I'm not traveling. It's been it's been really awesome to see things grow, so I, I get that. And then the last one, which I actually think is the most interesting, what's a an unlikely app on your phone?
0: It's called Decibel, which is a sound level meter. <laughs>
1: Okay, wow, okay. interesting why because, why do you have this app?
0: Because I moved into this new flat, which is wonderful, but there's this annoying noise in the in one of the bathrooms that I'm trying I want my landlord to fix, and I wanted to measure if it was uh, but like within the, the basically the allowed boundaries, and it's actually like two decibels above, so I can actually prove to him that he needs to fix it uh, so I, yeah I, I thought this app is is nuts, I should delete it. <laughs>
1: There are noises from neighbors or no, are, are the there venti- ghosts? The
0: ven- the ventilation system is broken.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! Okay, I love that story. Well, I wish you luck. I hope, I hope he does fix it. And I feel like you've definitely taken a very scientific approach to this. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, this was great. Thank you so much for the advice, you know, all the stories that you've shared. I've definitely taken some lessons for myself, especially just the, the idea of being always being authentic in your marketing. I really, really love that. And uh, it's been great having you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this, and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.